This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. You're listening to the Hogs Illustrated Sports Club podcast. Here's your host, Chip Souza of the Hog Sports Network. At today's Hogs Illustrated Sports Club luncheon, we had University of Arkansas Athletic Director Hunter Juracek as our guest speaker. He sat down with our Matt Jones for a question and answer session. Let's talk about football for just a minute. Okay. Let's just address it. The season's not over. Would be dumb to ask you definite questions, but for people who are concerned about the football program and, and where they are at three and six, your chance to address them, what would you tell them right now from your view? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at our program, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll make a comparison to when we didn't have a great feeling in our mouth uh, several years ago when we had back-to-back two and ten seasons, and I'm evaluating our football program, and I didn't think we were competitive in any of those games. I didn't think we played hard. I didn't think we, we, we were well prepared in any of those games. And other than the, the offensive side of the ball for the Mississippi State game, I always have, look, when I look at our team, I think we are well prepared. I think we have played hard. Our players have not quit. They're still very much bought in. Uh, we've had some tough breaks. Uh, you go through those six-game losing streaks. We had the ball with the lead or a chance to take the lead in every one of those games in the fourth quarter, including at LSU and at Alabama. BYU, of course, at home. The Texas A&M game, I, I don't make excuses for anybody, but when Luke Haas gets hurt on the first drive, that dynamically changes what our offense can do. And uh, we didn't adjust quick enough on that. And so um, I have – all the faith in Sam Pittman as our head football coach. Uh, we had to make a decision with four games left uh, to try to reinfuse some energy, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And at least one game in, it appears that that was the right decision. When you say we, I mean, to what level, what extent were you involved in the conversations to make that coordinator change? Uh, Sam and I visited for about an hour after that game. We talked again on Sunday morning. Uh, Sam, um, and I are on the same page with that. He, he doesn't have the ability to um, terminate a contract that has a multi-million dollar buyout in it. Uh, that's a decision he and I are going to make together. When you were at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, that's the last time I can remember hearing you talk publicly uh, this year, you said nothing's wrong with the football team. You said you're not making excuses, but you can't coach experience. Those, those were direct quotes. Sure. That was after the BYU game. Has anything changed in, in terms of, of how you – evaluate the team since those remarks? I still think we have some inexperience on the offensive line that's gaining more experience and getting a a little bit better as each game goes on. Um, But, you know, um, I'm not making excuses. I still don't think that there's a – I mean, I know we're three and six and we've lost some close games. We're also in the SEC. Do we have some challenges, some areas we need to improve? Absolutely. But um, this is not uh, kind of we're in a make or break having to win the last three games or anything uh, hidden down the stretch. I was a little surprised at Mississippi State because you go into that game, you're two and five. You haven't won an SEC game. It's an 11 o'clock game. We know how that can affect atmospheres. I thought it was a great crowd for everything that, you know, led up to that game. I wonder just what you all are expecting from an atmosphere standpoint over these final three games because you do have FIU coming in. You've got their Black Friday game that always affects attendance. But – what have you seen from ticket sales, just what you've heard leading into these final three For all weeks? intents and purposes, we're sold out of tickets for, for this weekend's game. Yeah. Now, people with those tickets in the hand have to, to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
this past weekend. We'll do a lot to have people show up. The weather's supposed to be great. It's a mid-afternoon start at 3 o'clock, and so I expect that we will have a great atmosphere, and depending on what happens this Saturday, I think that will dictate what happens the following Saturday versus FIU and what happens there. If, if we're playing for a bowl game against Missouri on that Black Friday, I think we will have a great and very energetic crowd, minus a big deal of our student attendance because of the Thanksgiving break. Usually by this time of year, we've got the 20 or, or the next year's football schedule. We don't have it yet. Usually comes out in September. I've heard maybe December. Is that when we're yeah, expecting? There's going to be an SEC network show that will introduce the football schedule the week after the SEC championship okay. game. I know all the wedding planners are, are interested because they're trying to get sure. their. <laughs> I, I know what it is, by the way, if anybody wants to pay me, and I'll tell you. <laughs> We'll put, some money, in my pocket we'll put some right money now. towards NIL or something like that if you really want to know what the football schedule is if you're planning a wedding date. The SEC announced something today about baseball permanent opponents. Missouri and Ole Miss are going to be the teams that Arkansas plays every year. From what I've heard, if it's a nine-game schedule for football, Texas, Ole Miss, Missouri would be those three teams. How do you go about determining those? And I would assume there's a lot of back-and-forth give-and-take that goes into those discussions. There is, and I mean, we're, we're still somewhat in the infancy of our membership in the SEC comparative to some of our other uh, member institutions. And so there's some traditional rivalries and some schools have multiple, multiple traditional rivalries that the conference is trying to protect. When you look at a nine game schedule, those were not protected in the current eight game scheduling model. And so um, obviously there's some geography that's attached to that. There's rivalries that are attached to that. And I think uh, when you look at us, Ole Miss, us being able to declare Ole Miss in Texas and Missouri as our permanent rivals is about as good as that could shake out. I was listening to Greg Sankey during halftime of the soccer championship last week, and he said that everybody had met recently, I think maybe in October, and maybe we're close to a consensus, as close as you can get to a consensus on eight, nine games. What can you tell us about where you are? We're not close to a consensus on eight or nine games. Um, so, no. He's that close to a decision. Consensus we, we've got two models. We have an eight-game model and a nine-game model. But I think um, what, what's worked for the, the Southeastern Conference, our ultimate goal is to get one or two teams into the college football playoff. And right now, the eight-game model, I mean, we have gotten one or two teams in with only four opportunities. And with 12 opportunities, we think we can get multiple teams in. So we're not going to make a change just for the sake of changing. There's got to be some type of value add for us and some definitive, hey, we're going to get multiple teams. Because if you play an extra game, that's nine more losses uh, within your conference, and that's going to hurt your chances. And that's why you see conferences that have a nine-game schedule um, were able to get more teams in there because that's one less loss. And so the current model has worked for the Southeastern Conference membership, and so there's got to be a definitive value add for us to make a change just for the sake of changing. I think consensus was my word. I think he said decision. Sorry about yeah. that, Greg. Uh, as it pertains to the eight and nine games. I think I've heard you say that Arkansas is not a team or a program that's built to play nine SEC games plus a power five. Explain to us that discussion, because if you go to nine games, maybe some of these power five games go away. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably the biggest hang-up with a nine-game model is the is it nine games with the current Power Five requirement that we have now, where let's take the 2025 schedule. We'd play nine Power Five games plus Notre Dame. That's ten really intense, tough football games to put our young men through. 
Um, and I don't know that from a depth standpoint that the University of Arkansas football program is built to endure nine really tough football games. It's hard enough to endure eight really tough football games during the course of the season. And I think that's probably so for the majority of SEC schools. I mean, we beat up on each other week in and week out in that schedule. And so it's not to mean that you can't play some non-conference games. They're going to be really, really tough. Uh, but there's a definitive drop-off and a reason why everyone schedules an FCS opponent and a group of five opponent because it gives you an opportunity maybe not to get beat up as bad um, week after week. Stadium naming rights for football, that's something that's on your radar right now. I think I read, what, three and a half, four million is what you were told over 10 to 15 years would be the market yeah, that, value? That, that's the corporate market value. Okay. Like if you went to a corporation, that's what it's been valued at. Um, but we will go to some uh, personal entities, some, some families mm -hmm. uh, within our Arkansas community and approach them in regards to the naming right, uh, naming right opportunities sometime in early 2024. Those expire June 30th of 2024. It doesn't mean that we have to just have a no-name stadium on June 30th, 2024, if we don't have a naming rights partner. But uh, we'll begin to really dive into that. Safe and, to say that if it's a family that buys the rights, it would be less than the corporate naming rights? I think it's the opposite of that. Is it the opposite? Yes. Okay. Well, if you want to write a check, Kevin Trainer will be in the back. <laughs> um, he will gladly accept your paper at the end of this. The naming rights is going, I've heard you say, is going to help fund the Bud Walton Arena renovation. Tell us where we are with that, because I know there's been some decisions made here recently with the trustees. Sure. So, so we're very much in the planning stages of a major capital campaign to try to raise somewhere in the neighborhood of about $200 million. Uh, that will help fund the renovation to Bud Walton Arena, a new facility um, building in the end zone of our Shocker Stadium, in addition to Bogle Park, a renovation to our tennis center. All will be encompassed into this capital campaign. Uh, we are in the design phase. Like we did a feasibility study for Bud Walton Arena back in 2019. Um, put that to rest when COVID hit. We have kind of brought that back to the surface. Uh, we have an architect, national architect, AECOM. We have uh, general contractors, Mortensen has partnered with Nabholtz, and they're really looking into what does that renovation look like? What's the cost of that renovation? I think everybody's aware that costs have changed significantly from 2019 to 2023, significantly. And so we're really having to look at what that renovation looks like and what we can actually afford. Are we still looking at not the end of this season, but the end of next season potentially as a starting point? For that in renovation? an ideal scenario, ideal, let me choose my words correctly, we would begin that renovation following the 24-25 basketball season, so roughly in March of 2025. Okay. You mentioned soccer and softball. I think when I talked to you about the, the, the when you went to the trustees and said, hey, this is what we're thinking, you were saying maybe the end of the 23 soccer season and the end of the upcoming softball season. Has anything changed to change that time frame? It has. The, the cost of those facilities has changed dramatically. I'll, to put it in perspective, uh, when we built uh, the track and field outdoor facility, the, the O'Meara Center, and we built the J.B. Hunt Baseball Development Center, approximately $400 a square foot, those facilities were completed um, in 2021. 20, so just two years ago, $400. Um, the soccer and softball buildings are being priced at closer to $750 a square foot. So 
That's what's changed for us. That's why we're going to launch this capital campaign. Uh, we don't really have the money to pay that cost out of reserves, and so we need to go out and raise the money for both of those facilities. Speaking of soccer, you probably yeah. saw this quote. Colby Hale said the conference tournament is, quote, stupid <laughs> after they lost it the yeah. other day. And, you know, when I was – and I mentioned that interview with uh, Commissioner Sankey on the SEC Network. He actually said that he had a conversation with both of the coaches on the field about what can we do to help you from an NCAA tournament perspective, winning national championships. Do you think that was something that was referenced? Well, the, you know, soccer, um, the, you know, the, you play Tuesday. We play Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. That's three games in a five-day span. That, that's a, When you talk about running around the soccer field for 90 minutes, uh, what these young women and young men who play soccer, uh, the, the amount of running they do, um, there's not enough recovery time to play three games. And so what he's talking about when he thinks it's stupid is that championship game uh, to play those three games. I mean, it was kind of a war of attrition. You could tell Georgia was tired. We were tired. There were no goals scored in that game. There was an on goal that Georgia got that uh, one of our players kicked in, um, obviously by mistake for them. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it's tough to come back and play three games. And so whether the conference tournament, if it's, I don't think it's stupid, but um, the format may need to be rethought so that it's in the best interest of the student athletes. You think that may happen after expansion? It may or it may not happen after expansion because you're adding two more teams. If you add more teams to the mix, I mean, it's already a one-week yeah. tournament. And so, you know, you as an athletic director, you want all the student-athletes from all the schools to have the opportunity to participate in that postseason tournament. So if you cut it down to a four-team tournament where you only had two games and you played a game on a Wednesday on campus sites and then on Sunday, well, you, there's 10 uh, 11 schools that get no experience of a conference championship. And mm -hmm. so that's hard. And so you're trying to have that balance act, okay, what's in the best interest of the, the overall well-being, health and well-being of a student-athlete, and what's in the best interest of their experience as student-athletes. And these are discussions you're having with all sports because any sport that has a conference tournament, baseball, Absolutely. you name it. Sure. And, I mean, you may find it hard to believe, but when you put 16 coaches around a table and ask them to agree on a format, it's hard to get an agreement on a format. <laughs> so it's hard for me to get agreement on campus. So you bring 16 coaches from around uh, the SEC footprint to try to get consensus on a format. It's very challenging. You no offense to the coaches in the room. You sent an email out yesterday to your supporters about yes. NIL, lobbying, Congress. You're part of a coalition of, what, I guess, athletic directors who have like-minded thoughts when it comes to NIL. Just tell us about that. Yeah, so, so the uh, Coalition for the Future of College Athletics uh, officially launched on November the 1st. There's 28 of the 32 Division I conferences are now members. Uh, the SEC government relations staff asked us to send letters to our constituents to in turn send letters to Washington, D.C. Um, to ask uh, for help from a congressional intervention for NIL because there's roughly all 50 states have their own NIL laws. The conferences can't manage that. The uh, NCAA can't manage that. We need some federal legislation. What I will say with that, uh, our congressional leadership in Washington, D.C. is very much on the same page with the University of Arkansas and their athletic director. They're very supportive of and willing to help to try to intervene from a federal legislative standpoint. They don't need to be peppered with emails, uh, but uh, being a good conference member, we sent that email out. Um, I may have gotten my hand slapped for that, by the way, but anyway. 
When you mentioned uh, the, the delegation, I don't know if you were just talking about Arkansas's delegation, but you've got a couple of former football players and Representative Westerman, Senator Bozeman. Yes. Do you find supportive ears when you have maybe athletes who have been through those experiences? A absolutely. And if you just have some, some level-headed ears, which I think we have in our entire delegation at D.C. from the state of Arkansas, I'm specifically talking about the Arkansas delegation. I don't mess with other states' uh, delegative bodies. Um, but um, they are very level-headed. And we do have some former student-athletes that benefited from being student-athletes and understand the importance of that overall experience and what NIL has done potentially to that experience. Because, you know, this is a really a football and a men's basketball challenge that's going to negatively impact our other sports if we don't get our, our control on this. I made a mistake using consensus earlier. So, so tell yeah. me, in, in terms of SEC leadership, your colleagues, other ADs, what's the mood as it pertains to NIL? Do they want change? Are there some who are happy with the status quo? No, I don't know that anybody's status is happy with the status quo. Let me, do I have a couple minutes? Okay, so NIL, there's really two pieces to NIL. NIL, the way it was intended, name, image, and likeness, is as a student athlete, if you have a, a value to your name, image, and likeness, and a company, product, or service wants to pay you to endorse their product, their business, their service, um, that's the good part of NIL. So when you see... K.J. Jefferson or other student-athletes at UAMS is promoting their sports medicine care. That's legitimate name, image, and likeness. What we often do in college athletics, and we're our own worst enemy, is we find the loophole to gain a competitive advantage. And now collectives have been born. And collectives are a group of donors that pool their resources and they induce student athletes to attend and or stay at that respective institution to play their sports. That is the bad part of NIL that we need some congressional help to get our arms around. NIL, the way it was intended, awesome. And our student athletes should have the opportunity to monetize their name, image, and likeness, whether that's through a video game, signing autographs, whatever the case may be. Nothing wrong with that. Student athletes should have that opportunity. But to get paid to transfer from one school to the next or to stay at a school, ridiculous amounts, ridiculous amounts of money, is not good for college athletics, and that's where we need some assistance. I don't know how good of a follow-up this is. How healthy is Arkansas's NIL right now relative to the teams that you're competing yeah. against? I would say we're in the middle of the pack relative to the teams that we compete. I want to... <laughs> Again, Kevin will be in the back taking donations for NIL <laughs> if you need to. Um, and that's just, I mean, here, we're, so right now, and I'll just put it in these terms, um, there's 14 SEC schools right now. We, our, our operating budget is 10th. $152 million is our operating budget this year. We're, we rank 10th. There's schools that are just above 100, Vanderbilt being one of those, but they have some, some money that, I call it funny money, that we don't all know about. Um, and then you've got like a Texas A&M that's at 225 million. And so there's a huge variance just in the operating budgets in the SEC. And so I would say that the NIL marketplace on each of our campuses is relative to our operating budgets, right? That I, I'm assuming that the schools that have the highest operating budgets also have the highest NIL budgets. And, and it just kind of goes down from there. But with that said, we're 10th in the SEC in an operating budget, 
And we won 33 SEC championships in five years, more than any other SEC school. So you don't have to throw money at every problem to be successful. I've been asking you questions since Arkansas's 80. I want you to put your hat on as part of the NCAA Football Division I Oversight Committee. Did I get it right? You did. All right. Just, and real quick, just to explain that for people who don't understand, basically you're part of a group of people who are looking out for the best interest of college football. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Michigan, Big Ten, sign yeah. stealing. I was talking to Matt Hobbs, who's Arkansas's pitching coach the other day, and he said that in baseball next year they're going to pitch calm. Pitcher communication. I don't know if you guys have seen this in Major League Baseball. Basically, a, a pitcher will have a keypad on his knee. He'll cover it up with his glove, put in a couple of numbers, and a pitch is given to the, the pitcher in his ear. If that technology exists on the college baseball side, and we know it exists for football with the NFL, why are we not seeing that in college football? I think it has been voted against by many because of the cost to do that. And, you know, we've got 125 Division I football programs. Not everybody can afford that. But we've gotten much better. I mean, this kind of new age of, of college athletics is to make legislation permissive, meaning if you can afford to do it and you want to do it, you can do it. Um, but there's also a safety element um, that uh, the, the helmet manufacturers um, that currently manufacture many of the helmets won't sign off on that technology being placed in helmets. It exists in NFL helmets. Um, they don't sign off on it for that as well, but that's just a different place. You're, you're talking about college student athletes. You're adjusting the safety of a football helmet to put the, the recording device in there or the hearing device in the football helmet. A little bit different from what they do in, in baseball. But there are some wearable technologies that you may see some baseball teams that now have these wristbands that have this digital technology, and so I think you may see something like that come up in football. But here's what drives me crazy, and uh, faith is a big part of my life, but the fact that we have to constantly legislate basic human integrity in college athletics drives me crazy. And we won't hold each other accountable. Like, I don't think, like, I don't know what's going on at Michigan, but the Big Ten and the NCAA shouldn't hold, have to hold their head football coach accountable. The University of Michigan a high-profile academic institution, if there's something going on with their football program, well, by God, the president and athletic director should hold them accountable. There were some SEC schools that said they saw Connor Stallions buy tickets at their stadiums. Is that something you even looked into? We did. He didn't buy any at Arkansas. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed <laughs> at that, quite honestly. <laughs> so, but we did. Yeah, we all checked on it. And um, he, he has not been at Razorback Stadium. Okay. At least not under that name. Not at War Memorial either? No, not at War Memorial either. <laughs> Segway, War Memorial's future. I guess it's tied into the 8-9 game SEC schedule. It is, yeah. We, I mean, we've scheduled a game. We have uh, Pine Bluff in 24, and then we have that school in the eastern part of the state over there in 25, and we're going to play that game. Um, and then we'll see what happens after that, depending on if we have an 8 or a 9 game schedule, et cetera. One more for you. You have not, and I say you, your, your university has not put banners in Bud Walton Arena in a while. I think it's been about seven or eight years since the last one. Is there any thought to bringing that back? I mean, like you've got Gary Blair who just was put into the Naismith Hall of Fame, and I know it was more for what he did at Texas A&M, but obviously there's an Arkansas element to it. There, there's a, a, a great backlog, I think, of basketball players and coaches who could do that. Is that something you think about bringing back? Well, uh, and conveniently, Kevin's left. Um, <laughs> Kevin is he a did. resident historian, and he's really uh, oversees that program. Quite honestly, I mean, we don't want to lose the rich history and tradition and celebrating our history and the people that laid the foundation for where we are today. Uh, but there are so many 
front burner issues within college athletics right now. I don't know that retiring jerseys and hanging banners um, has risen to the top of what we're dealing with right now, but um, I know Kevin's on top of that, and we're, we're really looking at our criteria for what uh, the criteria should be to have a banner hung in your honor or to retire a jersey or retire a number. I, I like saying retiring a jersey because, you know, we already have enough duplicate numbers in football um, that it's more better to retire the jersey and not the number unless it's just a really, really special uh, person. But that is something that you've looked into. Yeah, Ke Kevin and I have those conversations, yes. Okay. But I, I leave that in Kevin's wheelhouse, and I'm not blaming him now that he's walked out of the room, but that's his deal. All right. Well, Hunter, we appreciate you coming. Uh, my pleasure. All Thank right. you. Thank you. Our prep rally program of the week was the Fayetteville volleyball team, which recently won its fourth consecutive state championship. Jessica Phelan, the volleyball coach at Fayetteville, she stopped for an interview with us as our program of the week. Jessica, yeah. four four state championships in a row. Going into the season, you guys had lost so many, you know, Division One level players a yeah. year before. Um, you know, how how quickly did it take this team to kind of gel and for you to kind of realize, you know, I think I think we got another chance here. Yeah, I think it was a process. You know, we did lose a lot of players from last year, but these kids um, like had confidence from the beginning that they could end their season in Hot Springs. And we, you know, definitely had things to work on early, but I think that they had the belief all along that they could get there. And so that is really what it took. I mean, I think that, um, you know, as we went to camps and had some early preseason games and got into the conference schedule, they kind of built some confidence um, as we went along. And I'm certainly proud of them. They really believed they could end there, and that's what it took. So talk yeah. about that match with Conway. I yeah. mean, that was maybe one of the best and closest and tightest, yes. you know, state championship mm -hmm. matches we've had in this state for a long time. But you guys just been crushing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a hard-fought match. Yeah. I thought that it was a really high-level play from both teams, and you get into set five, and sometimes it's about who has the last bit of momentum, and um, we were able to, you know get on a run there at the end and um, yeah, really proud of them for sticking with it. We, uh, I think Conway had a lead early in the middle of that game. There's like 10 lead changes. So, I mean, it, you know, took some will um, to come out on top. And so I was really proud of them. Well, Reagan Hart gets a lot of uh, attention yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, rightfully so, yes. but who were some of the other girls that, that you felt like really stepped up for you? Yeah, I think of um, some of these kids that really had to like wait their turn to be varsity. Um, starters like Quincy Schaefer, who was our setter this year. Right. She had um, played varsity, but um, she, you know, was in that starting setting role this year and did a really good job. And I think to the extent that they, like, continued working and were great teammates all the way along their careers, um, like, allowed them to be ready for their senior season. And um, so I think, you know, that's pretty cool to see them step up and step into, um, you know, big shoes, um, kind of the idea there. But, um, it, you know, Kids talk about it's not just about like who we lost, but who they were. I thought that you know they had, we had a good team and um, they kind of really had really good chemistry and that helped as well. What do you do with all those rings? You keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that I say when the state when you win state, the party doesn't end. You, you know the the getting the kids together to pick out rings and stuff is fun and yeah, it's... Um, you know get to continue to make memories together even after the game so that's fun that's awesome well congratulations again on a great season uh, that's jessica feeling the volleyball coach at state champion four times four times state champion fayetteville bulldogs and yes. congratulations Thank and uh, we're looking for number five next year no pressure <laughs> yeah. yeah no pressure thank you yeah
Carter Nye, the Bentonville quarterback, was our prep rally player of the week. Here is Carter Nye. So, Carter, I noticed you got miraculously healed in time for the, for the Bentonville West game. <laughs> was that kind of in the back of your mind? You're like, man, I cannot miss that game. Yes, sir. The goal was to be back by that week, and uh, it happened. It wasn't miraculous. It, <laughs> took, it took a couple weeks. What kind of rehab did you have to go through? Is it like ice, ice treatments or whatever? What, what do you do for, a, for an ankle injury like that? Well, at first, I was completely shut off because okay. I had both feet messed up. I had a left foot that I couldn't – it was non-weight-bearing. And then my high ankle sprang. It was just I had to rehab. But at first it took a while because I couldn't put weight on it. So I had to wait for my foot to get healed and then I had to ice, okay. do a bunch of ankle movements and oh, re-strengthen it. Sounds painful. Um, so, you know, with the eye on getting back for that last game, how maybe was your ankle 100%, is it 80%, 60%? Where do you feel like your percentage is on the, on the ankle injury? It was just okay. But it felt a lot better after the game, didn't it? Yes, sir, it felt <laughs> a lot better and it's getting a lot better now getting off to a fast start against uh, west last week how important was that for you guys it was very important to come out and get ahead make them lay down because uh, once we got up they weren't the same team now you know you're the quarterback for the football team baseball what what's what's what are we looking at looking ahead for you gonna play baseball gonna play football at college what are you gonna, what are you gonna do don't know not for sure i'm gonna try to Stick with football, though. Okay. Uh, have you gotten any offers? Or are you taking any visits? Or are you waiting till the season ends? What are, you, what are you doing there? I have an offer from Henderson State, and then a couple more right now I'm talking to. Good deal. Good deal. Well, man, congratulations on not just, you know, this win against Bentonville West, but on a on another good season for Bentonville. guess you guys are looking forward to getting this week off. Get your ankle another week to heal up. And uh, what can we expect for the Tigers in the playoffs? Expect us to come out how we played against West last week. Um, it's good to get this bye week to get another week to rehab and uh, get ready. But I think we'll be ready and come out a whole new team. Good deal. Congratulations and look forward to seeing you guys do well in the playoffs. Thank you. That is Carter Nye. He's our prep rally player of the week for this week's Hogs Illustrated Sports Club luncheon. Uh, he led Bentonville to a big win against Bentonville West last week that locked up the number two seed in the playoffs. They get a bye this week, and then they will open the playoffs in the second round. And we'll be back next week for our Hogs Illustrated Sports Club luncheon again. Gary Adams will be our guest speaker. He is a former Arkansas Razorback standout. He will be the guest speaker. And then we will take one week off, and we'll come back on November the 29th. And Kobe Suggs, a former pitcher for the Arkansas Razorbacks and now a current bullpen coach for the Minnesota Twins, will be our guest speaker. The proceeding has been a production of the Hogs Sports Network. Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.